How many people in here like to read biographies? Well, I love biographies as well. One of my favorite biographies is titled To the Golden Shore, and it's the biography of one of the first American missionaries named Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson left America as a Congregationalist, and he arrived in India on his way to the shores of Burma, a Baptist. And so he has the distinct honor of being the first Baptist missionary sent from the United States. But during his time in Burma, Burma went to war with England. The Burmese government, upon this, imprisoned every single white person in the country because they did not know who could be a spy or not. And during Judson's time in prison, at one point he is called forth by the magistrate to be questioned. As he's waiting his turn in line, he's watching the man right before him be questioned. They took this man, they sat him in a chair, forward in the chair, and they placed canes above and below his thighs. They asked him questions and slowly applied pressure until they snapped both of his femurs. Put yourself in Judson's shoes. This is what you're watching. This is the treatment of the man just before you. You know that you are next in line, and now you're wondering to yourself, are my femurs going to be snapped, and what are they going to demand of me? Will they demand that you renounce your allegiance to your home country by worshiping in one of their shrines at one of their altars? Will they demand that you renounce your allegiance to Jesus Christ? If you comply, you save your health, and you could be freed. But if you persevere, if you remain steadfast, you could be mutilated. Adoniram was brought forth and simply questioned, no leg breaking. But he did spend many months in that Burmese prison, not knowing whether his life would be required of him or not. Adoniram was directly confronted with the question of perseverance in a way that I never have been, and I'm assuming most of us have not been. But we are all confronted with trials, and we are all confronted with the fundamental question are God's promises worth enduring the suffering that we go through? Our text this morning is found in the book of James chapter 1. If you would look on with me at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, this verse comes in a context where trials and perseverance have already been discussed. And it's important for us to understand the groundwork that James has laid. In fact, this is where James begins his epistle. Look at it, verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1. James writes, Count it all, my, all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering is something that biblical Christianity is not just acquainted with, but intimately connected to. So connected, in fact, that Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes as though something strange is happening. This is the, the normal course of life. 
The expectation of the Christian life is that we are going to go through trials, that we are going to go through suffering. And James here instructs his readers to count it all joy when they do. And there are two very important words used in this section in verses 2 and 3. Trials and testing. Both of these words incorporate a sense of design into the meaning. And they are the reason that we can count these things as a joy. You see, a trial is an attempt to learn the nature or character of something. In this way, it is a test. That means that the trials that befall us, they're not just random acts of suffering, but they are purposed, and they are used by our sovereign God. And this is the ground for James's statement that we can take joy in our trials, that we can even rejoice. You see, if the trials were random, if the trials were purposeless, and they had no greater end than simply suffering, there would be no rejoicing. There would just be pain. There would just be anguish. But we can count it all joy, because these trials have come to us through the loving hand of our Heavenly Father, He brings them about so that our faith is tested and so that new qualities are created in us, namely, the quality of endurance. Like gold is purified through heat, the Christian is matured, made complete, made whole through trials, through suffering. And so the trial functions as a testing for us. That testing reveals the genuineness of our faith. And genuine faith is persevering faith. But simultaneously, holding fast to the faith through the trial produces endurance in us. It produces perseverance in us. You see, with running, the more you run, the more you can run. With trials, the more you persevere, the more that you can persevere. Perseverance, endurance in the faith is so incredibly important because as Jesus says, The one who stands to the end will be saved. Christian, you must persevere. And this sermon draws our eyes, this sermon this morning, the text this morning, draws our eyes to this very fact. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, or perseveres, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so our main point this morning is, Christian, You must persevere to the end to receive the crown. You must persevere to the end to receive the crown. We're going to examine this verse this morning by answering three questions. What are we persevering through? What are we persevering in? And what are we persevering for? First, what are we persevering through? Whereas James verses 2 through 4 is focused on the specific instances of trials that we encounter, James 1.12 is taking a much more holistic approach to our entire life. And so simply, we persevere throughout a lifetime of trials ordained by God for the testing and purifying of our faith. Again, we persevere throughout a lifetime of trials ordained by God for the testing and purifying of of our faith. We may stumble at a particular trial, but the trajectory of our entire life is one of steadfastness. And so we must ask ourselves, if we're persevering through these various trials, what are the kinds of trials and how do we identify testing? A simple way to think about this. 
A trial is any circumstance where we are tempted to question the Word of God or our obedience to Him. Again, a trial is any circumstance where we are tempted to question the Word of God or our obedience to Him. I think James has three trials in mind. First, James has persecution in mind. That is suffering for the sake of the gospel. This would have been first and foremost on the minds of of all of the early Christians. If you look at the the book of Acts and the foundation of the church, the church is created in chapter 2 and the first martyr is just five chapters later in chapter 7. The Jews persecuted Christians. The Romans persecuted Christians. The Greeks persecuted the Christians. Everywhere that the gospel went, violence was quick to follow. History records for us some of the atrocities that have been committed against Christians. Christians, our brothers and sisters, were whipped, beaten, sawn in two. The emperor Nero used Christians staked at garden parties. He would light them on fire as torches in his yard. They were thrown to wild animals in arenas filled with spectators cheering. I detailed earlier Adoniram Judson's experience. In the face of horrific persecution, James's words ring loud and clear. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You must persevere to receive the crown. Now, this is not the kind of persecution that we face here in the United States. And many people act as though we have it much easier because we don't deal with this sort of state-sponsored physical violence. Two points. First, it can come here. And if you're a student of history, you know that eventually it will. At second, just because we don't face this physical violence, that doesn't mean that we don't deal with persecution. And James himself is not just covering physical violence. Turn to chapter 2 and look at verses 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? You see, in this section, James is encouraging his readers to not show partiality to the rich over the poor. Part of his argument is that the rich are the ones persecuting his readers. But what is it that James highlights as that persecution? It's not losing limbs. It's not death. It's lawsuits. The loss of possessions, the loss of a reputation, possible imprisonment. Those are things that we can relate to in America. People are not threatening our physical lives, but they may be threatening our reputation. They may be threatening our businesses, our livelihood, because of our commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his word. And so I ask, when questions arise related to your commitment to the word of God, are you tempted to soft-pedal your responses? Are you tempted to compromise to save face? Does your reputation with your boss, with your peers, or with your coworkers cause you to falter in obedience to the Word of God? How do you respond when issues like abortion, gay marriage, or transgenderism arise? The Word of God speaks very clearly to these issues. Life begins at conception, marriage is between one man and one woman, and biological sex determines gender. Do you feel ashamed of the Bible's answers to these things? Do you feel ashamed of your commitment to the Word of God? Now, wisdom is our guide in how we respond. Some people think everybody has to have a bullhorn and a sign. I'm not saying that. But Christian, where is your heart when these issues come up? 
Do you cower in fear that someone might find out what you really think, or are you seeking ways so that you can graciously speak the truth in love? When you are asked to do something unethical at work, or even tempted to lie to cover your own failing, do you simply go along for the sake of keeping your job, or do you demonstrate that your concern is for the honor of Jesus Christ and that that means more than pleasing your boss? James's message for us is the same as those enduring physical torture. Christian, you must persevere. These are trials of your faith. These are testing the genuineness of your faith. And these very things are creating endurance in you. These are the means that God uses to mature us. Now, a second kind of trial that James is thinking about is just plain old suffering. You know, losing a job, losing a loved one receiving a devastating diagnosis, a family member receiving a devastating diagnosis, death, sickness, pain, hurt, loss, things that we all encounter, things that we will all encounter. This world is full of anguish. It is full of things that cause us emotional pain. Friends, we will all get the ominous 3 a.m. phone call. We will all stand over the casket of a loved one. We will all be sitting in the doctor's office and we will all hear the doctor say, I have bad news for you. The Bible is unbelievably clear about the present reality of suffering. And James has this on his mind as well as he calls his reader to hold fast. Look at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the, right before our verse. James writes, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In this section, James is again exhorting rich and poor alike, both to be content with their present situation. And his argument, one of you is suffering now, the other will be suffering later. He closes with this warning to the rich that the sun rises with its scorching heat, that it withers the grass, the flower falls, its beauty perishes, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now the imagery here is the scorching heat of the desert sun. The sun rises in the desert and it scorches the land, burning up all of the vegetation. The sun comes up and everything perishes. In the same way, a rich man can be dissolved into nothing. In a second, an entire crop can be wiped out by a tornado. In a second, the stock market can tank to the point of utter financial ruin. In a second, a home with a lifetime of memories can be burned to the ground. In a split second, everything that we possess can be ripped from our very hands. Think of Job. Everything is taken from him in the blink of an eye when the scorching heat of trial comes upon him. Health fades. Wealth fades fades, prosperity fades, but when the heat of trial comes upon you, will you fade? This section is followed immediately by our verse, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. With each of these trials, you can hear the voice of Job's wife. Why not just curse God and die? When the diagnosis comes back, you have six months to live. When the stock market crashes and you have lost your entire retirement, when the doctor comes out and says, we've lost her. At that point, we are faced with the question, do you accuse God of injustice 
Or do you declare, Lord, this hurts? Lord, this hurts, but I trust you. Show me your goodness. Do you abide? In the midst of these difficult and trying times, James's message rings out loud and clear. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So James has persecution in mind. James has just plain old suffering in mind. But there's a third and final category of trial that James has in mind. That final trial is just simply the temptation to sin. Look at the verses immediately following verse 12, starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The temptation to sin is a trial of our faith. God does not cause us to be tempted, but God is the one who brings about the circumstances of our lives. Our internal response to those circumstances is not given by God, and it is not even the circumstances that cause our response, but our own hearts. Think about refining gold. Imagine this. You're on a hike through the mountains, and you find a lump of gold. You make the decision, I want to refine this right now. So you go back to camp, you create a blazing fire, you pull out your pot, you throw the gold nugget in there, you pull out your skimmer, and you sit and wait as the gold begins to melt. As the gold melts, you notice dross beginning to float on top of the liquefied gold. Do you step back, point your finger, and blame the fire for putting that dross in your gold nugget? Absolutely not. The fire is no more responsible for the dross being there than you are. The fire simply revealed what was already present in the gold lump. And it is the same thing with our hearts in the midst of trying circumstances, in the midst of temptation. This is true of suffering and persecution, but this is also true of the circumstances that just simply excite our sinful lusts. When you are following someone who is driving 15 miles an hour under the speed limit, when your boss castigates you in front of your coworkers, when one of your employees wrongs you, when your spouse does that thing, you know, that thing again, and it really starts to get under your skin, none of those things determine your response. Not one of those things determine your response. You find yourself in, your, in the circumstance, but your response to that circumstance is not determined by the circumstance, it's determined by your own heart. This is what it means that God tempts no one, even though it is God's sovereign providence that has brought about that circumstance. God ordains the circumstance, but we respond to it. God does not tempt us in the sense of causing us to sin or in the sense of bringing about sinful desires. God applies the heat to us, the dross, our own sin rises to the top. These are trials, and as they come, we face the question, Will I give vent to my sinful lusts, or will I obey the word of God? Will I give vent to anger towards another human being who is inconveniencing me, or will I obey God? Will I lie and cheat and steal, grasping for worldly pleasure, or will I trust in the goodness of God and obey Him? Every time that we face the temptation to sin, we are faced with the question, has not God said? 
Has not God said? Perseverance looks like using these trials and temptations as a sort of radar system so that we can then wage war against our indwelling sin. I lost my place. My apologies. These trials function as a radar system so that we can identify the enemy. They highlight and pinpoint those specific indwelling sins so that we can follow Paul's command in Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. James's call is for us not to live a life of perfection, but to live a life of perseverance through trials. Now, our persevering is both a gift and a command. God gives us the grace to persevere, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, Christian, persevere. Christian, the fight is won. Therefore, keep fighting the fight of faith. And we do stumble, don't we? We may backslide. We may fail over and over. So confess your sins to God. Turn to His Word and seek help from your brothers and sisters in the church. Perseverance gets back up. You must persevere to the end to receive the crown. We persevere through various trials. But this raises our next question. What are we persevering in? What are we persevering in? In James 3, James says that trials are a test of our faith. Therefore, we persevere in the faith. Faith can be a rather nebulous concept, but James fleshes this out for us a bit more at the end of our verse. Look at the end of verse 12. Receive the crown of life, which, focus here, God has promised to those who love Him. Faith is receiving and holding fast to the promises or the Word of God. Therefore, we persevere in faith in the Word of God. We persevere in faith in the promises of God. God's word of promise is the ground of our perseverance. Why do we run the race? Because God has promised to give us the crown of life. God has promised that our sins are forgiven, and He has sealed these promises with the death of Jesus Christ, which we have heard in the word of God. James explains this further in verse 18 of chapter 1. He writes, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. He brought us forth. He gave us new life by the word of truth. And then then we're further commanded to receive this word in verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Christian, we persevere in believing the Word of God, trusting that God is honest, that God is faithful to keep His promise, trusting that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is true. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells His disciples the parable of the sower. The sower goes spreading seed on several different kinds of soil. The seeds sprout and grow according to the soil upon which they are cast. In His interpretation, Jesus says, now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Notice, these seeds did not persevere. They encountered a trial, and they fell away. The fiery trial came upon them, and they abandoned the word of God. But Jesus continues, As for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, these seeds do not hold fast to the word of God. They are willing to surrender the word. They are willing to relinquish it for the sake of worldly gain, for honor, and for pleasure. They did not persevere. James finally comes to the good soil. As for those in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Those planted in the good soil hold fast the word of God, and they bear fruit in patience. That word for patience is the same word that James is using here for endurance or perseverance. All of the seeds spread on good soil endure. It all stands fast. It all perseveres with patience. Though the winds buffet, though the floodwaters rise, though the lightning flashes overhead, the seed on good soil remains. It abides. And furthermore, it bears fruit. Holding fast to the Word of God is not like hanging on to an inert object. Holding fast to the Word of God is holding fast to something that is living and active. It is fruit-producing. Notice God has promised this crown of life to those who love Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Christian, to persevere in the faith is also to persevere in obedience. True and living faith can never be separated from obedience because the Word of God not only contains promises for us, but it contains commandments. To love God is to love God's Word. To love God's Word is to affirm the goodness of both God's promises and God's commandments. This is why there are so many trials. So This is why so many of the trials that we face call into question the goodness of our obedience to God. Christian husband, God commands you to be faithful to your wife. When you are tempted to lust or to take lust further, you are directly confronted with the goodness of God's commandment. Has not God said? Christian teenager, God commands you to obey your parents. When your parents ask you to do something that you don't want to do, or they say no to something that you do want to do, you are confronted in that moment, is God's commandment good and right? To hold fast to God in faith is to hold fast to God's word by faith. To hold fast to God's word means embracing both God's promises and God's commandments. We cannot affirm that God saves those who call upon his name and simultaneously deny that faith without works is dead. True faith is persevering faith. And persevering faith perseveres in trusting God's word and producing fruit. But again, this is not simply dependent upon us. Faith and obedience are gifts and commands. God gives us faith. God gives us hearts that, obey, that desire to obey. But then we are commanded to believe. Then we are commanded to, to do the Word of God. God has told us that victory lies ahead. And then He has given us the sword of the Spirit and told us to fight on. 
Brothers and sisters, may we be like David's mighty man who fought so long and so hard that it says that his sword clung to his hand. May it be so with us that we would be so in the fight against sin that our soul would cling to the Word of God. It is a reward of keeping up the fight. The more we fight, the more we can fight. The more we use the Word of God, the more that we can use the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, we must persevere. We must hold fast to the Word of God, and we must seek to live it out in our private lives, in our families, at work, and in our church. God will hold us fast. We have that promise. But God holds us fast through His Word. When we encounter trials, we must bring the Word of God to bear. When we encourage one another, we must bring the Word of God to bear. When we are tempted, the only thing that has power enough to turn us away from Satan's allures is the Word of Christ. You must persevere to the end. We persevere through trials, and we persevere in faith and obedience. But our final question this morning is what are we persevering for? What are we persevering for? We labor and strive for our entire life. We face trial after trial, hardship after hardship, and for what? Does God's promise meet the pain that we must endure? James says that the man who endures is blessed, but how can a suffering man be considered blessed? How can a man like Job, who lost everything, be considered blessed for his endurance? How can we, who have counted our lives as a loss for the sake of Jesus Christ, be considered blessed? James's answer is the crown of life. Now, this is not the golden crown of a king, but this is the crown of a victor. The prize awaiting us is the hope of eternal life. The promise of dwelling eternally in the presence and the glory and the love of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Apostle Paul said it this way, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Job was considered blessed not because his fortunes were restored, but because he saw God with his own eyes. He looked upon the glory of the creator of the universe, and Job was changed. Christian, can you imagine the satisfaction of being in the presence of our triune God, breathing in pure life, pure light, pure joy, everlasting loving kindness in the presence of our great God? Christian, that is what awaits us. There is nothing on earth that money can buy that can compare with the realities that are held forth for us as we persevere. We hold fast to the promise of God. We hold fast to the Word of God because there is nothing better. There is nothing greater that anyone can hold forth for us. Be encouraged. Our hope, the crown of life, is a prize that is worth far more than we can think or imagine. Receiving the crown of life is so valuable that those who lose their jobs for the sake of the gospel are considered blessed. Receiving the crown of life is so valuable that those who embrace Jesus Christ and lose families and lose friends, lose wealth, lose inheritance, they are considered blessed. Receiving the crown of life is so valuable that those who are beheaded for the sake of the gospel, like the Apostle Paul, are considered blessed beyond measure. We persevere because the hope of our eternal inheritance with Christ is incomparable. Nothing compares. You must persevere to the end to receive the crown. 
But when you have fixed your gaze on that crown, when you have fixed your gaze on eternal communion with our triune God, our trials begin to pale in comparison. We all encounter trials. But those trials are purposed by God to grow us in maturity, to equip us to further endure. In the midst of ruin and persecution and temptation, we must hold fast to the promise of God. We must hold fast to the hope of entering into His eternal glory. We must hold fast to the hope of seeing our smiling Savior face to face. And it is to Him that we now turn. As I've been laying out James's view of perseverance and what is required of us, the task can seem insurmountable. There is so much suffering. There is so much temptation. There's so many trials. How can we ever expect to get through this life faithfully? How can anyone endure? And the answer is that it's only because of Jesus Christ. Where we fail in our endurance, Jesus Christ never stumbled. He never wavered. Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of men more than anyone who has ever come before or after. Jesus Christ suffered the eternal hell of God's wrath against sin. Jesus Christ faced trials so heavy that he wept and sweat drops of blood. Christ faced temptation from the hand of Satan himself. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tried. And yet Jesus Christ endured for the joy set before him. Jesus Christ endured to the end because without that, friends, none of us have any hope. Apart from Christ enduring the full fury of God's wrath against sin, our sins could not have been forgiven, and we would have no hope of eternal life. Apart from Christ enduring in righteousness, we have no hope of righteousness. Because Christ has endured for us, because Christ's Spirit has been given to us, we can endure. <coughs> not in our own strength, not in our own strength, but because the sovereign King of the universe seated at the right hand of the Father, has given us the resources to fight, and He is now fighting on our behalf. And because our sovereign King is also our great high priest. Listen to what the author of Hebrews has to say. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with full confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest who is not calling us to do something other than what he himself did. And it is because of Christ's endurance. It is because of Christ's perseverance to the bitter end that we can receive the crown of life because the crown of life is guaranteed to us by His precious blood. We recognize that we stumble. We recognize that we often fall flat on our faces. But we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And part of perseverance, friends, is that we persevere in repentance. That we persevere in turning to Christ over and over and over, begging Him for more mercy and more grace because without the mercy and grace of Christ no one has any hope whatsoever but we have hope because Jesus Christ died and is now seated at the right hand of God on high the author of the Hebrews writes further on therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christian, run to win the race, knowing that our running is not for a perishable crown, but we are running into the embrace of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. You must persevere to the end to receive the crown. And remember that our trials are tests of our faith to prove its genuineness and to grow us in endurance. Remember that we must persevere in the Word of God and we must persevere in our obedience to Christ because we are persevering for eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. James tells us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Please pray with me.